Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Hello! Happy chilly Sunday morning, you guys. It's so, so good to be together. Uh, Well, Matthew, when I walked on the property, I didn't know that was a steeple. I thought, oh, look, Bethel Atlanta has a hat. shaken a little bit when Matthew said it was a steeple, but that's fine. I'm just going to keep calling it a hat. (laughs) That's a winter hat. Uh, Okay, well, good. I'm going to pick up where Steve has left off this morning because it's a foundational morning. Vanessa sent us out a message this morning just about feeling like we were going deep into the foundation of who we are. And it's just so in line with what I was feeling on my heart this morning. So if you just want to open your Bibles to Galatians 2, uh, we're just going to have the best meal together this morning. And we'll see how far we get. But uh, these, you know, These passages are some of the nearest and dearest to my heart. So we might just read them and sit in silence because they're so good. Um, Let's pick up uh, in verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, Although we're Jews by birth and not non-Jewish sinners, we know full well that we don't receive God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law. But by the faith of Jesus, the Messiah, his faithfulness, not ours, has saved us. And we have received God's perfect righteousness. Now we know that God accepts no one by keeping of religious laws. Perfect righteousness is not a reward How many people have spent a long time working for a reward of righteousness? (laughs) Anybody? I spent so long trying so hard. And sometimes we just gotta we just gotta put our Bible right into our face. (laughs) We we just gotta just let it sit there for a little while. Uh, Because the most important person you will ever minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to is yourself because the gospel is never first to be preached it's first to become and so the entire world right now is aching for the message of the gospel there's not one thing the messiah didn't think about before the foundation of the world when he was slain he didn't forget to look into 2020 and see that the entire world is on fire and think, I wish I would have made provision that far in advance. (laughs) He's not up there coming up with a new plan. This is the eternal plan. And there is no plan B because he's sufficient. And when the Bible says he doesn't worry, he actually sits in the heavens and laughs 
he, he's laughing because he's won. He's victorious. He's not slumped over, twiddling his, tum, his thumbs, um, hoping this, this goes well. His shoulders are back. His eyes are full of fire. His robe is perfect white. He is the redeemed in revelation that he, he knows what he accomplished is sufficient. And the way the gospel is released on the earth is it being released in you. That Ephesians says we become the living advertisement of his eternal power. And it's, the gospel is not first about words. It's not first in our language. It's first in what is exuding off of our life. Because the victory is first won in the spirit realm. And so when the people of God walk into an environment that's heavy and dark and depressed and hopeless, we don't first explain the gospel. We walk in with our joy. We walk in with our peace. We walk in with our rest because we've been ministering the gospel of Jesus into the deep of our own anxiety, into the deep of our own pain, into the deep of our own unsettledness. And so our first mandate is not who, what will we do out in the world? Our first mandate, who will I be before this king? Who will I become before the all-sufficient God who won every battle we are facing right now? And, you know, uh, so it, it begins in our personal devotion to Jesus. And, you know, I spent a long time working on my personal devotion to Jesus. Anybody have their daily devotions uh, I had one this morning, <laughs> um, but for a real long time, um, those devotions were me working really hard to earn the reward of righteousness. <laughs> and, you know, righteousness is being made right with God. Every wrong thing has been perfectly made right. Everything that kept you disconnected from perfect love, that's not an idea, it's not a feeling. It's a literal person, the Godhead. God is love. And everything that violated love, righteousness has made right. And so I spent a, a lot of years in an anxiety to become right with God. Anybody ever feel disconnected in your relationship with God? And I would have these uh you know, waves of feeling so disconnected. And then, uh, I, you know, I, I remember I would sit and read 50 chapters of the Bible at the same time. And one time it was the book of Job. I read 50 chapters of the book of Job because I was so desperate to be made right with God. And I just got up tired. That's what happened. You just get you just get tired. And every question in the book of Job was answered in the person of Jesus. And we just need more of Jesus. When we feel tired reading the Bible, we left Jesus out, you know? And and you know what I realized is God is not looking for you to have daily devotions. He's looking for a life of devotion. He, you know, the old testament mentality is the visitation. 
relational mentality that we are waiting and pressing in to visit with God. And what Jesus came to reveal is fathers don't make visits. <laughs> fathers do not live in visitation rights. Fathers don't wait for their kids to clean up their room so that he'll finally come and feed them what they're hungry for and nourish them and care for them. Fathers live with their children. Fathers make a home. They make provision. Fathers take the lead of connection. They're not waiting for their children to get it together so they're finally worthy of a relationship with me. No, you are born into a relationship with me. And no matter what you choose to do, there's nothing that will stop me from loving you. And that is the heart of father and mother that has been wired within us from the image of the God that we were made for. So we begin to live below the call of the gospel when we're waiting for God to visit us. We, we are called 24 hours a day, seven days a week to receive the beauty of what Jesus has done. He has made a way that there would not be one moment where we're not breathing the air of presence. <laughs> and, you know, when I would feel those ups and downs in my connection with God based on how much of my Bible I had read, in that setting, there is not enough time to read that amount of the Bible. Because if you've read, oh, yeah, I got my chapter in. Yeah, but you could have done two. It, well, if you did 50, you could have done 100. And, and the thing about the carrot of performance is it becomes a lust of the flesh because it can never be satisfied. No matter how much you've done, there will still be more to do. And, and it exhausts us in a race that Jesus finished. And, you know, when the Bible says he is a rewarder of those who seek him, we have to put that in context of what we are rewarded with and what we will never be rewarded with. And in healthy family, in the beauty of the Godhead, we would never reward our children with connection. That, that is the heart of toxic dysfunction. If my children have to perform in a specific way to get my love, my attention, my provision, my care, my adoration, I have set them up for a life that is identityless. They will be on a hunt for the world. Tell me who I am. Tell me I'm worth knowing. Tell me I'm worth eye contact. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And the heart of the gospel sets reward apart from presence. You will never be rewarded with righteousness. You will never be rewarded by make, being made right with God. Love does not look like that. And so what happened was when I started to realize that anxiety was my own works, that anxiety of, I didn't read enough of my Bible today. I didn't pray enough. I didn't spend enough time with Jesus. That was centering my devotional life on myself. What I did and what I didn't do. 
and we diminish the beauty of the gospel when it rests on me. That, that from all, all through the Old Testament, what we learned was we could not do it. <laughs> we could put ourselves in every ridiculous story and think, how did you not get that? And then 2,000 years later, we're living in the same cycle as if Jesus never came and fulfilled what was missing. And when I feel that anxiety start to well up inside myself, I'm living like Jesus never came. I'm waiting for a Messiah who already finished the deficits in our capacity to stay connected. And you know what happened when I start, and I still practice this on a daily basis, because uh, I feel anxiety on a daily basis. Does anybody else? I mean, I know some people are way beyond me in that, but I am still in process. <laughs> you got to receive me as I am. Just because we hold microphones doesn't mean we don't have problems. <laughs> the goal of holding a microphone is just to make sure this, you know, 25 minutes doesn't define my relationship with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus defines this 25 minutes. <laughs> So when I feel anxiety, what I practice, I practice, hey, if I would have read 50 chapters of the Bible this morning, I wouldn't have been any more connected to the Godhead than I am right now. Hey, if I would have fasted and prayed the last 40 days, and Jesus has called me to do that before. It's it's very hungry situation. <laughs> but what we have to understand is that spiritual discipline is a huge part of who we are, but it will never define our access to the Father. And we have to first be positioned in the, in the place of security that Jesus purchased for us to understand the gift that spiritual discipline is. And, you know, as I practiced, as I started practicing, I've been practicing this for years of my life now. And what started happening was I was no longer living under a pressure to read the Bible. And I started craving the word of God like I crave laughing with my friends over a cup of coffee. It, it became my most favorite time of day. I stopped keeping track. I, I could sit in front of one verse for literally a couple hours. <laughs> I'm sorry about the neglect that happens to my children when I read the Bible. Um, I've had to reel it in a little bit because, uh, you know, one, one time when my littlest was little, she would look at the book and she'd be like, how long is it going to take you to finish that book? <laughs> I will never be finished with this book. <laughs> Anyways, I, I deter, I deter. So what happened was when, when the Bible and reading the Bible and praying, when I stopped telling that as a reward for righteousness, as a reward for presence, the natural craving to be saturated in what Jesus is saying became one of the greatest love affairs of my life. <laughs> like, 
literally, if I have a moment to myself, I, I start to uh, salivate a little bit at getting to read the Bible. I don't remember the last time I read the Bible because I was supposed to. I literally can't remember what that feels like because it's been so wired out of me that this, that how much we read the Bible would define our holiness, would define our righteousness. And when we truly let go of the striving to get the reward of his presence, everything that we need to live healthy, we need a prayer life to live healthy. We need steady doses of the word of God to live healthy and in reality. All those things start to fall in alignment with our cravings. We start to crave righteousness because it's already inside of us. And, you know, it says, it, it, it says God accepts no one by the keeping of religious laws. So your acceptance into Jesus has nothing to do with you getting it right. And we could be living in a relationship with Jesus for decades, and we're still wiring this out of us. So the thing we need to be practicing is taking advantage of our failure. And, and your failure is your greatest gift because your failure exposes where am I at with receiving the gospel. So, so when you uh, burst out in anger and you know you, you have just acted out of the flesh because your anger diminished someone you love, that's a real line you crossed. And Paul goes in to say, does that mean sin doesn't matter? That's ridiculous. <laughs> We're missing the point of righteousness if we say, well, let's just all sin then. That what happens is when, when we fail, it is our invitation to see, I need to drink deeper from the righteousness of Jesus. And it's, a, it, it's, it's like a little litmus test. If I feel disconnected from Jesus when I fail, then my righteousness, my right standing with him is resting on myself. On what I do and what I don't do. And what, what the law wants us to do is push us into the fig leaves like it did Adam and Eve. Get it right. Figure it out. Stay over here. Fix it. Fix it. Fix it. And what Jesus did was when we fail... Run to the Father. Run to the Father. Get what you need. Let him clean up those scabs. Let him wipe off your face. Let him remind you you are born for holiness. And, you know, holy people live a holy life. And so when, when you are living below the call of holiness that has been made clear in the Bible, it means you're living below your identity as a holy one. That we don't first work on our life to become holy. We work on our identity. That this is why we grow in the kingdom through surrender. Because we surrender to the one who has made us holy. And, and the, 
it, Jesus was so offensive because he went around treating sinners like they were the holy ones worth his life. <laughs> and, you know, when the woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery was thrown at the feet of Jesus, we have to realize if she was caught in the act of adultery, she was not dressed appropriately for society. <laughs> for reasons all the adults in the room understand. <laughs> and Jesus' first response to her being exposed in her sin was not like, hey, Peter, get a, get a blanket quick, throw it over her. You know, his first agenda was not to cover her sin. You know, he took time to let her experience what she had never had the opportunity to experience in her identity. And the experience was, hey, baby, you're worth loving just like this. I see, I see all your shame. I see everything that you were just caught doing. And what's more important to me is not, is not that a blanket would cover your shame, but that you would experience your worth a person covering your shame. And not just any person, you're worth the most significant person in all of human history that prophets had been prophesying for generations. A story had been building all with the center of waiting on the, on the Messiah to come. And he chose to spend those moments dignifying her undignity. And he chose to let her experience your worth. Your life is worth redeeming. And, you know, he, he wrote some secret in the sand <laughs> that I have zero revelation about. But what I do have revelation on is that he likes to linger in your shame. And we often think, he wants to get us out of our pain and our shame as quickly as possible. But the heart of the gospel is that he wants to spend time in your pain and your shame. Because he actually wants to choose that spot in the presence of your accuser to set a table and pull out the fine china and you're still ratted and dirty and feeling worthless in the reality of your story, and he lights a, a candle and says, hey, baby, come and dine with me just like this. Just like this. Don't dress yourself up. Don't pretend that didn't happen. Look into my eyes and see you're worth the Redeemer. You're worth the one Isaiah prophesied about. And when we, when we go in to Galatians 2.20. We'll just jump down there real quick. It says, my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer 
lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And, you know, it takes a long time for something old to get old. The older we get, the older old gets. You know, because like when you were 10, 20 was ancient. You're like, wow, you're so old. (laughs) You know, I'm almost 40. 40 used to feel so old. And I'm like, I'm so young. You know, when you turn 100, you're going to look at 80-year-olds differently than 40-year-olds look at 80-year-olds. You're like, oh, you got so much life left. I remember, I remember when I was 80. So the thing about your old identity is that old grew with you and old became normal. And, you know, old cannot receive new without the cross. And, you know, there's so many options to take care of old. And Jesus chose one route to take care of old. And it was slow. And it was torturous. And when he, when he died for our old to no longer live, it wasn't a quick death. It was hours that he endured on our behalf. And so... What you tell yourself about your old identity is the reality you'll release to the world. So when you feel your old identity of insecurity well up in your heart, and you, you diminish your, yourself in that moment, ah, oh, you're still dealing with that. Ah, oh, this is so old. I can't believe you're not over that. And, and your inside voice is diminishing to your own process. You will look at the world around you and have an angst that they're still dealing with that. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You should be done with that already. You're taking too long. And your inside voice becomes the voice you project when you see pain in the world around you. And we we become judgmental instead of becoming like Jesus and getting as low as the dirt to serve humanity in the oldness of our nature. And, you know, there was one place and one place alone that our old identity could be redeemed. And it's on the cross. And there is a fellowship to be found in choosing to suffer with him on the cross. And and sometimes we can feel like we're failing if we're taking time to let our old identity suffer. But our oneness with Jesus begins on the cross. Identity, newness of life, begins in recognizing what is old because we could we could spend our entire life 
living in an old identity thinking this is this is who I really am and the cross is what confronts the old and makes a way for us to take a hold of the resurrected life and so I just felt this morning to encourage us in our in our own intimacy with Jesus look, look what Paul um said about this. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. So oneness with Jesus begins with valuing oneness with him on the cross. Being one in resurrection, in the beauty and the power of what he defeated is impossible without allowing ourselves to feel the intimacy, the calling, the love of him accepting us as we are. Taking time to, you know, identity is, is the source that all of our life's fruit flows from. And so when we, when we start to see fruit that is toxic in our life, when we start to see patterns of thinking and behaving that we keep wrapping around, we have to, we have to look at the why am I doing that? And often we're looking for a quick fix. Like, well, I just want to have one encounter and have it be over. But he is the God of forever. He is the God of habitation. He is the God that love is patient. So there's no such thing as let me love you real fast. <laughs> you know, when I married my husband, I'm, I'm like obsessed with him to this day. I wasn't like making a vow to love him as fast as I can. No, love is patient. Love requires a covenant that's eternal. And so when, you know, the greatest way you can know how much of Jesus am I becoming is in your soul that's working it out. How patient with yourself are you? When you feel afraid again, how patient with yourself are you? When you're stuck in the muck again, are you manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Kindness, gentleness, tenderness. Is your identity becoming one with the identity of love, of perfect love? And the first place that's measured is in your own soul. And it, the answer is intimacy and getting to the bottom of why. Because an old identity 
means you didn't just wake up yesterday and decide to be insecure. It means insecurity was wired within you in a very old way. And what the gospel wants to do is get to the very bottom of that identity and not just fix the feelings and the emotions attached to it, but redeem your reality and restore who you really are. And everything about our identity that's been defined on the earth has to go through the cross. And I just, I just want to be honest. Jesus is the slowest person I've ever known. And I'm just, I'm just here to tell you the truth. He is astonishingly slow. And I, I think, wow, we've been talking about this for literally two decades. And you're so, you're so relaxed about it. It's like, you, 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 you look so refreshed. Like, this is the first time we've had this conversation. I'm like, oh, that whole ancient of days. It is not a joke. And a day is like a thousand. And we, we like, are promised like 120. So all the hurry that we learned in the culture of the earth. See, the culture of your identity on the earth is the fastest one is the winner. But we're not in a race for a reward. And the earth is racing for a reward. And what, this pe- what sets the people of God apart is we've been restored to walk with him and talk with him in the cool of the day. And, you know, we, to possess the kingdom, have to become like children. And anybody that's ever been a parent knows they are Christ-like. In this one way, they're so slow. They're so slow. And if you're in a hurry, they're even more slow. And I've learned this about Jesus. If I'm in a hurry, he doesn't even get up. It's like, it, you know, I was, I was telling him the other, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Uh, Yeah, no, that's generous. This is not a walk. This is a crawl, a slow, turtley crawl. And, you know, it's because your legs, they're little compared to the greatness of who our God is. Let's be honest. He doesn't go slow uh, because his legs are broken. He created everything in one word. He could address everything in your life with one word right now. But he chooses intimacy. He chooses relationship. He, he, he likes to stop and smell the roses. He, he likes to get distracted and forget where we're going. He doesn't think in terms of finish lines. He's eternal. And to truly thrive in our truest identity, we have to leave the bounds of earthly thinking. The race to finish, the race to get a reward. 
No, we're, we're here to be in his presence. We're here to see what he sees, feel what he feels, say what he says. says. And it, it takes time to wire out what the world taught you about who you are. And it's the most beautiful, worthwhile journey to walk with him and talk with him and allow the parts of you that are old to be accepted into his presence so he can create something new. So I just want to challenge you today. What would your life look like today if you believed there is nothing you can do to make yourself more accepted to the Father? There is nothing you could do, there's nothing you could not do to give you more access to perfect righteousness that keeps you in intimate relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. What would your life be about? What would the journey be about? What would the world around you look like if there was nothing to prove? I dream in, in the abundance that Jesus has purchased that none of our life would be spent racing for something that Jesus has already won. And from that place, what do we declare? From that place, what do we expect? From that place, what do we look for? So let's just go ahead and stand up. And Jesus, we just say, uh, we'll truly follow you anywhere. We're like the disciples that said, where else would we go? <laughs> if you're walking slow, we're walking slow. There's nowhere we want to be but where you are. And there's nothing this world needs but who you are. And so we, we, just, we just celebrate this morning, Jesus, that you are the absolute center of every ambition, of every goal. And we fill up all of our space that we have perfect righteousness, not because of what we did or didn't do, but because of what you did and who you are. And so we boldly come today to be one with you, to live in unity with you, to live as the holy ones on the earth because of our oneness with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.